The VPM Daily Newscast is sponsored by Kanawa Capital Management. Your financial life is unique, complex, and dynamic. Kanawa Capital Management's team of credentialed professionals has been helping its clients build wealth and confidence through personalized planning and informed investing since 1989. Learn more at cancap.com. That's K-A-N-C-A-P.com. You're listening to the VPM Daily Newscast, the recap of today's top stories in Central Virginia. From the VPM Newsroom in Richmond, I'm Whitney Evans. This fall, VPM News aired a special series that dives into how Richmond's neighborhoods promote or hinder residents' well-being. At its core, Healthy City asks, how easy is it for people living in Richmond to get what they need? In part two, we begin with a conversation about community gardens. Public space can be hard to come by in a city, and when it's there, it doesn't always serve the community's needs. Patrick Larson reports on how Richmond's urban gardeners are reimagining and realizing inclusive, educational, and enriching public spaces. So that's, I just turned this into a strawberry patch, then we got white grapes. Brandon Fountain is known as Lord Bumblebee the Gardener. He got his title during the summer of 2020, when Richmond's statue of Robert E. Lee on Monument Avenue became an iconic image of protests against police brutality. Activists called the land where the statue once stood Marcus David Peter Circle. It was named after a 24-year-old black teacher killed by a Richmond police officer in 2018. B, through prior landscaping experience, began caring for a garden there. But then when people start seeing me there every day, that's when they just start calling me the gardener and I got the Lord Bumblebee the gardener name. He grew food there and says the work taught people patience and resilience in the face of injustice. You know what I'm saying? Before we can even get into the bigger scale of like truly sharing money and equity and property, we got to learn how to like not pluck things too fast. But in January 2021, the state erected fencing around the circle as it prepared to remove the statue. B had to get creative. So what I ended up doing when they fenced it off was getting water guns and feeding the plants like that through the fence. But he couldn't keep the garden alive from a distance. So he started a new garden at the Community Church of God in Christ, just a block away. So welcome to Unity Garden. The church welcomed protesters in 2020 and made space for the lush garden, which B tends with volunteers. So I'm working on some um, good okra. I'm working with um, a pickler. These are some of my pinwheel flowers that I'm getting to BK Flowers over there on Brooklyn Park. And inside the heartbeat, I grow beets and call them Unity Garden heartbeats. Swag. From the circle to Unity Garden, B says he's gotten help from volunteers. People donate soil and plants, too. Food is what's there, but it's community that's really growing in those spaces. That's Megan Goff, a Virginia Commonwealth University professor who studies community engagement and has written on public gardens. She says Richmond's public gardens are among the city's best examples of welcoming and purposeful public spaces, pointing to Sankofa Community Orchard and Southside as a prime example. You can hear it when you talk with people that are there volunteering on a regular basis. Uh, People are, are thinking about economic justice and political justice. It's the type of space that Goff says the city should support, and it does through the Richmond Grows Gardens program, which leases city land to groups at no cost. 
18 gardens operate through the program today. The city also recognizes that there are fewer high-quality public spaces, which can have long-lasting health benefits, in majority black neighborhoods. Officials have taken steps to remedy that by speaking with people from communities around town to understand their needs instead of deciding for them. But Goff wants to see those discussions continue as plans for future public spaces are enacted. It's just as important to have the engagement around implementation as it is in the idea formation. Today, the fence at MDP Circle is gone, and B has found new ways to connect with the place. He checked out the new landscaping and found echinacea, so he went to Lowe's, got his own, and planted them in Unity Garden. So now the bugs from there also come over here. Unity Garden is part of a community, not just with neighbors and B's MDP family, the pollinators are in on it too. Patrick Larson, VPM News. Many of Richmond's historically black neighborhoods have seen large increases in home values and tax assessments in recent years. Connor Scribner looks at how that's affecting longtime residents. Oak Grove resident Robin Andrews has owned her house in Richmond since 2005. In recent years, she's seen her property assessment rise dramatically about 180 percent since 2018. She says she's had to rearrange her finances to pay her property taxes, making it difficult to cover other necessities. It's hard putting food in here Mm -hmm. because I'm robbing Peter to pay Paul. (laughs) It has been a burden for me to be able to visit my doctors the way I need to or should because I have to not take the appointments or make an appointment because I can't afford the copay. She tried applying for property tax relief with the city, but she's not eligible because she's only 63 years old. State law limits the program to people who are 65 and older or who have a disability. That hurts. When you're paying taxes, the way as much taxes as I pay, mm-hmm. And then you're telling me you can't help me. I really don't feel as though the city does enough to help people like me in my situations to make ends meet. Property values in Richmond have been driven up as new residents move into a city facing a 35,000-unit housing shortage. But according to local real estate investor Damon Harris, the root of displacement in black neighborhoods lies deeper. Gentrification is an end result, right? Like someone has to buy something for low in order to reface the community. This phenomenon happens largely in neighborhoods that were redlined, Harris says. For decades, black people were locked out of buying homes in neighborhoods throughout the Richmond region. Banks, homeowners associations, the federal and local governments all took part in this discrimination, which limited black families' housing options to many of the neighborhoods that are now being gentrified. The Homeowners Loan Corporation was a federally sponsored company created during the New Deal. It mapped and graded Richmond's neighborhoods in 1937 to determine which would be given preference for mortgages. While the company claimed the ratings were based on residential security, the comments included with them reveal that race was the primary factor. It labeled neighborhoods as, quote, hazardous based on the presence of black residents, who officials deemed, quote, lower grade or undesirable. Redlining helped to create a large gap in homeownership rates between black and white families that can still be seen in Richmond and surrounding areas. Harris says that led to disinvestment in those neighborhoods. Many properties didn't get the same upkeep or improvements as those in other areas of the city. People look at like, why doesn't Petersburg turn around? Well, if 70% of the houses are owned by people that don't live there, there's no motivation to do anything. 
The lack of housing opportunities has direct negative impacts on the lives of black Americans. Nationally, people who live in formerly redlined neighborhoods are more likely to live in poverty, die at younger ages, and experience numerous chronic illnesses. In Richmond, the life expectancy in several redlined neighborhoods is less than 70, while other neighborhoods surpass 80 or even 90 years. Those same areas that are redlining, the same areas that you see high infant mortality rates, same way you see food deserts, same way you see police killings, those areas remain stagnant because there's no resources, no infrastructure that puts them back in there. You can't replace wealth. You can't replace opportunity. You can't replace possibilities simply by saying it. But the devaluation of black property cannot be explained by redlining alone. According to research conducted by the Brookings Institute, the real estate market continues to discriminate against neighborhoods where black families live. Andre Perry was one of the researchers on that project. He says they compared home sale prices in neighborhoods across the United States from 2012 to 2016. The study controlled for factors like nearby school quality, crime rates, and walkability to give an apples-to-apples comparison. Even still, homes in majority black neighborhoods sold for 23% less, 17% less in Richmond. There is a perception of black neighborhoods that is distorting the market in bad ways. It's almost as if people, when they look at black neighborhoods, they see twice as much crime than there actually is. They see worse education than there actually is. Perry says in Richmond, homeowners in majority black neighborhoods had about $30,000 less in equity than they otherwise would. That equity that is lost is the money that people use to send their kids to college, to start a business. As a result, residents of Richmond's majority black neighborhoods are frequently displaced due to evictions, foreclosures, and forced sales. A report from the eviction lab at Princeton University noted Richmond had the second highest eviction rate in the United States in 2016. Those rates decreased in recent years as a result of pandemic-era programs aimed at keeping people in their homes. But in recent months, evictions rose back up to near pre-pandemic levels, concentrated in Southside and the East End. Since 2014, city records show more than 1 in 10 homes in several of those neighborhoods have been forced into a sale, either due to foreclosure or owed taxes. And the pressure of mounting back taxes often pushes homeowners to sell before they're forced to. Southern Barton Heights resident Wyetta Sledge says that's been the case in her neighborhood. A lot of the houses in the neighborhood seem to be selling out because of the neighbors not being able to afford to pay the taxes. And the properties are selling for dirt cheap. She says she's thought about selling her house, but doesn't know where she'd go. What I paid for mine when I moved here, I could never, I couldn't even buy an apartment for that price now. Sledge says it's difficult to keep up on maintenance. Her home's assessment jumped 60% last year and another 10% this year. She's planning to apply for the city's property tax relief program this year, the first year she's eligible. Harris, the housing investor, says families in devalued neighborhoods often struggle with home maintenance because they're unable to use their home's equity to fund repairs. So, many homes get sold as is, meaning no repairs will be made before the sale. And that means homeowners often don't get the full value for their property. It costs money to sell your houses. Sometimes you have to put money in it to make money, or to, at least to get it to be able to be sold. Harris says his business, Teal House Company, works with longtime homeowners to finance repairs before selling their homes. While Teal House gets its investment back, Harris says most of the gain in value goes to the homeowners. Instead of them just making small bits of money because they're going to sell it for cash and sell it to an investor, they're able to get full value of their property. 
Back at Oak Grove, Robin Andrew says leaving a home is about more than finances. She was the first person in her family to graduate and the first to own a home. I take pride in what I have accomplished. And I refuse to sell my home that I worked hard for. Still, Andrew says it's been difficult to lose connection with neighbors who've had to move on. Connor Scribner, VPM News. Regular preventative oral health care is essential for hygiene and overall good health. However, research shows that out of any racial or ethnic group, Latinos are less likely to seek dental care, creating an oral health crisis in those communities. Kairos Manzanares takes a look at how the problem has taken shape in Richmond. Inside the University of Richmond's Robin Center, a makeshift dental clinic is underway serving people through a Mission of Mercy project. Dental chairs line the hallways and patients are waiting to be seen. For many, it's the first time they're seeing a dentist ever. We have to take advantage of events like this because they don't happen often. That's Briseida Rodriguez, mom of five who immigrated from Guatemala two years ago. She and her children have not been to the dentist since they came to the U.S. It's complicated for us or for the kids to have health care insurance because we are Latinos without a social security number, so that makes it very difficult. There are a number of deterrents the Latino community face that prevent them from getting dental checkups like affordability, limited clinic hours, language, promotion of services, and lack of transportation. But at the free clinic, Rodriguez's daughter was treated by Natalia Chavez Choque, a fourth-year dental student at VCU School of Dentistry. She had a tooth extracted. Chavez Choque was once in the same predicament that her Latino patients often find themselves in, needing oral health care but not having insurance or money to pay for it. Now, Chavez Choque uses her experience to guide her work. She's trilingual and able to help patients that speak Spanish, English, or Portuguese. The beauty about seeing the Hispanic Latinx community is that, I mean, for one, I am never, I'm never free, right? I, I always like to keep myself busy because I know that I have to see so many patients. Chavez Choque says most of the patients at the free clinic event were Latino, and when she works at VCU's student clinic, they are as well. Organizers for the Mission of Mercy event said over half of the people treated at the event identified as Latino. Is this feeling sleepy? Being the only dental school in the state comes with the cost of responsibility, says Dr. Carlos Smith, the Associate Dean for Inclusive Excellence, Ethics and Community Engagement for VCU School of Dentistry. What I tell my students here all the time is when your patient sits in that chair, you're not just simply treating a tooth. And, and sometimes that's the focus, right? Because they do have to learn the technical skills and the art form of dentistry, but that tooth is attached to an entire person that has a story and a narrative and a journey and how they got here or what's bothering them or what has led to their situation, right? Smith says Virginia is also dealing with a shortage of dental providers who are willing to accept Medicaid enrolled or uninsured patients, even though the state has expanded its Medicaid dental coverage and reimbursement rates, making it harder for people to get the care they need. That's one of the reasons the dental school 
um, has an, <laughs> a really large influx of patients because we're um, really the largest provider of care where a patient that's enrolled in Medicaid can be seen. The Virginia Dental Foundation says they treated 175 patients at the Mission of Mercy event, a total of 527 procedures from cleanings to restorations to extractions and x-rays were performed, costing nearly $50,000. Not one patient paid a dime. Kairos Manzanares, VPM News. The maternal mortality rate in Virginia more than doubled between 2018 and 2020. And research shows black women are much more likely to die during or after childbirth than their white peers. Megan Polly reports. Stephanie Spencer remembers trying to call rideshare services to take pregnant women to doctor's appointments during the pandemic. And the Lyft drivers were asking, are they sick? Drivers didn't want to go near hospitals because they thought that what they were going into was this COVID hotspot. Spencer is founder of Urban Baby Beginnings, which provides free maternal services in Virginia. She says transportation was tough for some moms and hospitals limited visitors. You tell a mom she can't bring her children because now remember her children can't go to daycare. What am I supposed to do? Many women feared getting sick and early on were advised against taking the COVID-19 vaccine. Jordan Hilton with VCU Health says the pandemic played a role in the rise in maternal mortality. Some women even who got the vaccine were so scared to come in public or come into a hospital setting until it was time for delivery where we may have missed an opportunity to intervene with another medical comorbidity that they had. Hilton says pregnant people should have at least eight checkups during their pregnancy. And we know we weren't getting that in COVID. Missing appointments can mean missing signs of high blood pressure. Cardiac conditions were the leading cause of death among Black women during or soon after pregnancy from 2018 to 2020. Luckily for Chester resident Shalisha Wilcox, her doctor Daphne Bazil recognized that her blood pressure was spiking while at a routine visit a couple of weeks before her due date. She'd been fine, normal blood pressures every week. Weight was great. And then she walked in and I looked at her and I was like, wait a minute. You don't look right. Wilcox had to be induced immediately. And she says later, when her blood pressure spiked again, they had to use a vacuum to deliver her son. She looked at the monitor and she saw I was at a very critical level to where I could have had a heart attack at that moment. 42 Virginia women died of heart-related problems and other natural causes during or shortly after childbirth in 2020. That's compared to just 17 two years prior. Spencer with Urban Baby Beginnings noted Black women can be hesitant to seek care. She says their pain is often dismissed, and research backs this up. I go into the system that I'm, that I'm supposed to trust, that's supposed to care for me, and the first thing someone does is look at me and say, I don't think that you look sick enough. When feelings are questioned, it only deepens mistrust. You're not writhing on the floor. This isn't big. This is not a problem. And that's what my moms deal with all the time. New research shows that 80% of pregnancy-related deaths in the U.S. between 2017 and 2019 could have been prevented. Spencer says now health systems are paying more attention. In 2015, you might as well have hung it up. It was not happening. It was really difficult for people to understand what was going on. Since then, Urban Baby Beginnings has partnered with VCU Health and Bon Secours on one possible solution for low-income patients on-site free doulas. While not typically medically trained, doulas provide support during and after pregnancy. 
having someone in that clinical space that was a trusted resource that was still community-based but also able to be uh, a liaison really bridged a gap and created a trusting structure with everyone. Spencer says patients have noticed the difference. Many say their childbirth experiences in the hospital have been less stressful. And that's a good step towards building trust and eventually creating healthier outcomes for parents and babies. Megan Pauley, VPM News. The Healthy City series was written by VPM News and VPM News Focal Point. It was edited by me, Whitney Evans, and Connor Scribner. Additional editing by Dave Cantor, Megan Moore, Megan Pauley, and Dantea M. Price-Lisco. You can stay connected to what matters by heading to vpm.org news or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MyVPM. VPM. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.